What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster T.O. Advanta Podcast. That is the DTF Podcast. It is Wednesday morning, July 27th. Peach Jam is over. The July live recruiting periods are over. My trip to Seattle is over and I am joined today by two of my favorite people on the planet to uh, kind of recap some things that have happened over the course of the last month. It's been a while since we talked, fellas. T.O., I saw you down to South Carolina. Fancy, we have not jumped on this podcast in what, like a month? Yep. And over the last month, every Duke fan has been in my mentions <laughs> and in my direct messages since we last potted. We could not have had a larger gap between podcasts, and it couldn't have been worse for me. I got a message from a Duke fan who said, John Lanta, as in taking the L, Duke is your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Are so you- that's what's happened to me in the last month. <laughs> I've uh, I've become Fanta's no more. I took the L. I'm Lanta to Duke fans now. John Lanta, you gotta love it. And the funny part about that was was John Shire, who I saw at the Peach Jam, and I told <laughs> you guys this off air, but the people need to hear it. Like they, John goes, or he was like, man, Fanta just just crushing Jeremy Roach. He's just crushing him. I don't get. It. I was like, I don't either, John. I, I don't either. I don't know what Fanta was saying. And I completely pushed you under the bus for what it's worth. I was like, I think Jeremy Roach is great. <laughs> but you didn't say he was bad, though, John. You didn't say he was bad. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I never said that. We'll go right off the top here, and I will clarify without going on too long of a soapbox to then feed it back to Bobby D. The, the point is simple. Duke needs Jeremy Roach to be great this season. They need him to be a leader. They need him to be that, that dog. Jeremy Roach is a terrific competitor, and he's got a dog mentality. I like the way he plays defense, and I thought in big moments for Duke in the NCAA tournament, he was terrific. They don't make as big of a run as they did without him. That being said, you can both say that Jeremy Roach was sensational in the NCAA tournament and is huge for Duke this upcoming season, while acknowledging the fact that there are still areas of his game in which he can get better and some questions for him still to answer as he takes on an even bigger role for a team that's not loaded with the quality of professional necessarily heading into this season. Paolo Bancaro is not walking through the door. Duke's got some of the best prospects that this recruiting class has to offer. Paolo Bancaro... And, and these guys, they're not on the same wavelength. That was my point, and I want to see how Roach handles it this season. That's my point, Duke fans. I still think he's got certain things that he can figure out, and we'll see if he does. 
But what I will say about this Duke team, and like looking ahead to this Duke team, they the pieces fit a little bit better this year. Now they don't have a, a Paolo Bancaro this year, but they got Derek Lively, who's a lob threat slash three point shooter. They got Filipowski that can operate out on the perimeter. Derek Whitehead has done a lot of different things during his time at Mount Verde, and then Jeremy Roach is going to be the guy that kind of makes it all happen for them and then they've added some vets I like this Duke team I like the way they're moving forward it's just uh you're right you're right to a point because there is no number one pick on this team however there's still I mean what would Duke have five draft picks this year it's ridiculous basically their whole starting five five draft picks uh will they have that next year maybe not but they're they could just they could just have three or four draft picks so you know, we're splitting hairs here. They're still going to be really talented. But like you said, Fanta, I'm not going against what you're saying, but uh, I think the pieces around Jeremy Roach, this, this was my argument then, it's my argument now, the pieces around him fit him much better because now he can use what he's good at. And that's his quickness, that's his ball screen offense and all, that, all those things. For the people listening at home, I just want to let you guys know what it's like being on this podcast. See, I have this whole rundown. This wasn't even listed, was it? That this I, wasn't that even I listed. To, that I sent to these two guys, right? This whole rundown, right? There's probably a good 200 words here, a whole bunch of notes, four different topics. None of them have anything to do with Jeremy Roach. We have one segment at the end where we are going to talk about John Shire versus Kyle Neptune and how that fits. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to Peach Jam, when it comes to Gigi Jackson, when it comes to Justin Edwards. We're going to get into all of that. But the very first thing that we were supposed to talk about was Bill Self. But no, that's not what happens on this podcast. Vance just goes wherever he wants to go. That's the, the story of the field of 68. It's been bothering me we- for a freaking month. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for a month. I, I have a question. And this is a real question. What fan base do you think is angrier? The Duke fans at Fanta or the Iowa fans? Iowa. Keegan Murray stands at T.O. Iowa fans. There's no question about it because I was very clear in my responses to Duke fans that I never called him a bad player or whatnot. T.O. not only questioned Keegan Murray, but then he made some insults on this podcast at the people of Iowa, which as an Ohioan, I was also, I took offense to it because don't I do that. Don't roots. do that. You're not nope. the same. You, you can't just claim the whole Midwest Fanta. Yeah, I'm claiming the entire over. Midwest. The <laughs> Iowa people do not like you. You are banned from that state effective immediately. That's fine. There's my, not my shit favorite there part anyway. about that. My, <laughs> well, that is just my, cruel. My, they have my favorite college basketball. The only thing good there is NIL at Iowa State. We'll get into that later, too. Yeah, I guess we'll get into that. My favorite part about that entire back and forth, T.O., is how many times Iowa fans have have called you out for changing Keegan Murray's weight during that argument. (laughs) I didn't do that. I think I he said on the show he was 205, and then he tweeted out that he was 220. And they're like, what <laughs> happened? Where did those 15 pounds come from? Do you know what you're talking about? This is proof that you're an idiot. That didn't happen. I did do that. I did do that. What, what is he, yeah. two, 225? I mean, he's a, he's a big dude. And here's the thing. Like, I didn't say he wasn't. He was a terrible athlete. I said oh, he wasn't good compared to the other four. Here we here we go. No, 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 no. You can't here walk that go. one back. Look, look, here's the I was truth. comparing him to the other four. When I said underwhelming athlete, comparing here, here's him to the, the truth. I'm going to go find the audio. I'm going to go find the audio. I'll tweet it out. Make sure that you guys all see it. T.O. Sure said that Keegan Murray sucked and that he's a bum. And John Fanta said that Jeremy Roach is going to be the worst point guard in Duke history. Yeah. That, that Those are direct quotes. That is exactly And now that we got saying. that out of the way. 
And now that we got that out of the way. (laughs) Right. Hey, Greg Waddell's uh, backcourt rankings, they don't have Duke's backcourt in the top 10. uh, That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and uh, and and if you want to get to who fans that are really mad at us, Kentucky fans are not happy that one we ranked Creighton's front court in front of Oscar Sheway and whoever's going to be at the four for the uh, for Kentucky. Yeah, that's two, probably you don't know the other guy. That in our yeah in our in our top twenty five players of the last decade, we had Grayson Allen ranked above Oscar Sheway, and they are very very upset about that. Because apparently Oscar Sheway is actually the second coming of Akeem Olajuwon. No one told me that though. Anyway, listen. Make sure that you like. (laughs) Make sure that you like. Make sure that you subscribe. uh, Whether or not uh, you listen to this podcast on audio on Apple Podcasts on Spotify, if you watch it on YouTube, make sure that you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. All of those interactions really do help us within those algorithms, and those algorithms are what pays the bills uh, for us. Leave a comment. Leave a review. uh, Make sure you let us know how much. Fanta does not know about Duke's starting backcourt. I, I already teased what we're going to get into. The biggest story of the last week, however, was probably uh, the report that came out from Matt Norlander at CBS Sports that Bill Self and Curtis Townsend had been held off the road for June and July. Um, it wasn't just June and July. They were not on the road out in April either. They have not been in any of the most recent live recruiting periods. Uh, I don't know if this was written in Norlander's story. Uh, but this was something that was recommended by the NCAA. This wasn't a decision by Kansas. It was kind of the NCAA saying, hey, you know what? You probably don't want to put those guys on the road because that's probably going to be ended up something that gets uh, taken away when we get to this kind of whole I- IARP. Is that what it is? The IARP hearings? Yes, um, that's correct. Assistant coaches Jeremy Case and Norm Roberts were both out on the road. Uh, I think we saw both of them in South Carolina, Tio. I don't know if you saw them. In, I did. Uh, I saw both of them there. I don't know if you saw them at Peach Jam. Um, and just to kind of remind you guys where we are in this whole process, Kansas got their notice of allegations three years ago. It was September of 2019. Right. Uh, in May of 2020, a month into lockdowns, when we were all still uh, stuck in our houses, not able to go out anywhere, that's how long ago it was. Um, Kansas put out that statement where they called the allegations uh, in that notice, quote, baseless and littered with false representation. So, uh, Fanta, I know you have a take on this. How do you feel about self being held out on the road, Curtis Townsend being held off uh, from going on the road recruiting? And does this matter at all? Is it going to have any impact on anything when it comes to Kansas basketball? Well, I don't think that it has a major impact in terms of Kansas's ability to recruit. We don't know whether or not Bill Self and Townsend are able to to text these players or if they're still in communication. Watching a game in person is not everything. So here's the deal. I don't think that this is a huge deal other than the fact that it is the first cooperative shift that Kansas is having when it comes to this investigation. It's the first time that we are seeing a blink in what has been a stare down between the NCAA and Kansas. Kansas calling the NCAA's claims, you said a couple of quotes, how about, quote, a false narrative because of the fact that an Adidas consultant aided in the payment of uh, two parents of their players they claim that they had nothing to do with that, nor did they have knowledge. We could talk about who's at fault or, or whatnot. The fact of the matter is this, okay? 
I don't think that this damages Kansas. I don't think it has a huge effect. It could signal that they're trying to ease the blow of what will be a potentially long overdue punishment, whatever it is. The point goes back to the fact that the NCAA has stated that they're going to change the way that they do infractions and change the way that they hand down a punishments. Rob, the fact that you're asking, is it the IARP? Yeah, the Independent Accountability Resolution Process that was formed, by the way, off of this FBI investigation, which even though they got their notice of allegations in September 2019, when was the FBI investigation conducted and processed? That was all the way back in 2017. The point is, it's July of 2022, and the NCAA and their whole quote, process only affects people that end up having very little to nothing to do with what actually happened. The irony is Kansas has already suffered a little bit in recruiting in the past because this was hovering over them, but did they suffer? No, they didn't. They might have suffered. They They might have suffered in the recruiting pathway, but they ended up getting kids that helped them win a national championship, which kind of sums up the current college basketball culture that five-star talent, you're going to go after it, but that's not the sole ingredient to winning national titles. Yeah. Here's the thing. (laughs) They, they just won a title, right? Based, based on taking all the charges. I got my, I got my trophy. I'm taking all the charges right now. Just get this shit out of the way. They they just won their title. They, They just won their title with, Three-star local kids carrying the load. Oshaya Baji, Christian Brown, Dewan Harris. All local kids, all three-star prospects, none of whom anybody saw them going to Kansas and saying, oh, yeah, those guys are going to be NBA players and are going to win national championships. I talked with Bill Self last week. This is a quote from him. We make our living off of the Marcus Morrises, the top 75 kids that are better than one and duns when they are juniors and seniors. Right. That's where they've been at their best. Those are the guys that have won Kansas national titles. They've had nine guys that have been one and done. Right. How many of those guys have been great? How many of them have led Kansas to final fours and the national titles and the league championships? Right. The year that Frank Mason won national player of the year, Josh Jackson was a top five pick. Yeah. Right. That, like that, that's what mm-hmm. Kansas is at their best developing guys and turning guys into pros two, three, four years in the program. And you know what else? They have three top 30 prospects coming into school this year. Grady Dick, <laughs> by the way, hilarious name. Uh, MJ Rice and Ernest, Ernest Uday. I think I got that right. Ernest Uday. They have three top 30 prospects coming in. It's not like their recruiting is hurting and it's not even that important for Bill Self to get these guys. And oh, by the way, we're five years removed from all of this happening and we have no idea one, when Kansas is going to have the IARP hearing and two, when we're actually going to hear punishments. There have been rumblings. I don't know if you heard this, T.O., when you're on the road. I've heard some people say that they think that there's going to be a postseason suspension and Bill Self is going to miss regular season games this year and we might even get a postseason ban at some point from Kansas. I've also heard people say, they think that UMKC should be on the lookout for some hefty NCAA punishments coming based off of what happened with Kansas. So who knows what actually is going to end up happening here? UMKC. Okay. So I'm lost there, but not to, to go. That's the uh, whole, did you get that joke? Did you get that? Yes, reference? I did. I got yeah. it. The I'm NCAA the is so mad at Jerry Tarkanian that they gave Cleveland state another, uh, another postseason ban. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, I didn't. Well, Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm somebody might be. Keep, keep up, T.O. Keep up, T.O., please. 
We have Somebody might need standard. to show the NCA where Kansas is so that they don't get them mixed up with Kansas City. Yeah, no kidding. It's kind of like when Charleston Southern, some of their guys were selling back bucks, and it's just like, oh, let's really go after those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, now, I, I will say uh, having Bill and, and having his lead assistant not being there is not great, but Jeremy Case and, uh, gosh, and uh, Norm, Norm, I Roberts. mean, he's had those guys for a long time. So, like, that's where continuity of, of having a staff, the same staff for a long time, helps. And you guys were speaking to the effects of not having them on the road. I, n- not really that much, guys. Not really that much. They're still going get, to get their hands on guys. They're still going to get their hands on really good players. And when you've had that type of continuity for so long, Norm's been there for 12 seasons. Jeremy Case has been there. I don't – he's been there since, you know, 2016 as a video coordinator. Like – those guys, they have continuity within their staff and it doesn't really, once you trust those guys, like it's not really going to affect those things as much. And you try to tell me a kid and his parents are going to come in and meet Bill Self and he's not just going to sweep them off his, uh, off their feet. Like it, none of that stuff uh, really bothers me at all. And they're going to have their pick of kids in the Midwest. That's just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I'll just play devil's advocate for a moment here because I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And when I said that Kansas, quote, already has suffered what i meant is what you said rob they were getting some three-star prospects they might have had to swallow lumps if you if you'd like to say that when this investigation first came down just from an optic standpoint but they didn't because they're the national champions in the sport my question as a devil's advocate is okay none of us think it really matters a whole lot so then why do you even do it to begin with why do it? Why take them off a, the road? Just to get ahead of it and, and being like, hey, we're going to cooperate. Maybe, you know, you guys take it easy on it. That being said, Oklahoma State cooperated with everything, and then they just got hit with a hammer. So, like, I'm not exactly. sure why anybody would cooperate with anything the NCAA is saying with that stuff. Well, I think the NCAA realized that their punishment for Oklahoma State was wrong because if you go back and look at some of the stuff that the other schools have gotten since then, uh, it's yeah. been much less severe. And I think they realized, hey, you know what? We might have fucked this one up. Well, you might be giving too much credit. You might be giving too much credit to the NCAA, too. I mean, let's face it. How could you not realize that ahead of giving out the punishment? That's why cooperating at all, this inclines to me Kansas has intel that something's coming, and they're trying to ease the blow of it. It's this, yes. It's not necessarily easing the blow. It's it's the kind of thing where it's like direct. Just get out in front of it, and then maybe this summer will count against that whole thing yeah they, it, it, yeah they they were it was it was recommended to them that that this is something that they should do and is it kind of like, like I, when you have a really bad day at school growing up and then you locked yourself in your room before dad got home fully knowing that he's coming into your room no it's like it's, it's like way. it's like when you're when your wife come home comes home and she says hey you know what you you smell you should probably go take a shower right it's that kind of a thing Everybody knows, like, you know, you probably need to take a shower. You maybe been putting it off a little bit. And she comes home and is like, you need to, you need to go get your ass in the shower. You stink right now. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about right here. Anyway. Yeah, but, listen. but when she's showering with you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. But look, get true, story, true, true story. True <laughs> story. Co-showering like that, 1,000% overrated. 1,000%. Kid show. 
one this is this is this is this is a talk around a couple of beers type of deal yeah i'm not one, talking about that subject one thousand percent i'll talk about my feelings about it. on it one thousand percent overrated. Yeah. Okay. Next to topic. <laughs> All right. Listen. Before we get into it, we're going to talk about the Peach Game, uh, Peach Jam recap here. So I want to make sure to remind you guys: subscribe to our Instagram, subscribe to our TikTok pages. The link, those links will be down below. We have a major announcement coming in the next couple of weeks. I don't know exactly when it's going to end up being, but it's something that will be uh, good and informative, and I'm pretty excited about. It's a project that we've been working quite a bit on during this summer. So, Peach Jam recap, to. Uh, you were down there. You were in North Augusta, South Carolina, which is one of the most oddly named um, cities in America. But I missed Peach Jam this year. It was the first time in probably a decade that I haven't been uh, at a Peach Jam. Who impressed you? Uh, I, I One guy in particular that uh, that impressed me a lot was Drive Nation's Justin McBride. This was a guy who was 6'8", 6'9", could handle it. And I, I was wondering, like, what is he the first time I saw him? And he was a guy who was making the right read, making nice passes, hit a lot of mid-range jump shots, and he ended up with 21 and 11. I go back, I watch him again, and him and his teammate, Liam McNeely, who's also a stud, he's a 2024 kid, and he's got offers from everywhere, 6'6 or whatever. He goes in, and I'm like, well, he's just kind of a guy, he's a ball mover. Well, next game, he goes for 33. And it was like, man, this kid's really, really impressive. <laughs> and he doesn't necessarily, he looks the part as far as his height is concerned, but he's not one of these broad-shouldered uh, Adonis bodies like a Mackenzie Mbako for New Jersey scholars who could be in the running for best player in the country. Uh, but he, he is so talented. He's making skip passes from one wing to the opposite corner with his offhand off the dribble at that size, and he just knows how to play the game. He was one guy. Another one, and I've been a fan for a while, Elliot Cadeau. Uh, Half Swedish, half American kid. I feel like I have to say that because every time he plays well, I get about 10 text messages from my Swedish friends. Uh, he might have been the best pure point guard in the in not only this camp, but all summer. Uh, he was special. Change of pace, played against CP3, uh, almost had a triple-double, and he had the ability to put his foot on the gas. He's got elite quickness, and he had the ability to slow it down a little bit. He He's from Bergen Catholic, I believe. Uh, in I think that's in New Jersey, correct? You and bet it is. He is, he is really, uh, really talented. About six foot six one, but some of the passes, guys, that he put on a dime were really incredible. Overall, the Peach Jam was was awesome. Now, is the talent in twenty three and twenty four as high as it was as what it was uh, last year, or the year before? Probably not. But uh, Nike, uh, at least in this year's, it was it was far and away better. Uh, from top to bottom uh, in terms of uh, teams. Uh, even the worst teams are competing, at least at the mid-levels of Adidas and probably a little bit higher at Under Armour. But uh, uh, like it always is, guys, uh, a, a great tournament, a great weekend, and high-level talent all around. Are you surprised, Fanta, that T.O. Uh, came on here and hyped up the Swedish guy? Uh, he's <laughs> the best point guard in the country. He's the best point guard in the country. That's it. Or the world. Might be the best point guard in the world. Yeah. It's, no, uh, it's probably for 17 under. Yeah, it might be. So here's my take on, on the current state of affairs in the recruiting world hmm. is that when you look at the 2023 rankings from 24 seven sports, the composite rankings that take everything into account, there are two programs to account for seven 
of the 12 commitments thus far from the five-star prospects. There are a total of 21 players that are given the five-star label by 24-7 sports in the 2023 class, which is not some exceptional class, but needless to say, there are 21 five-star prospects. Duke and Kentucky have compiled seven of the 12 commitments from five-star prospects. No other program has more than one commitment. The point, whether it's before NIL or after NIL or in our current era of college basketball that's ever-changing, Kentucky and Duke have only gotten richer. And John Calipari is a dangerous, dangerous man on the recruiting pathway right now. How much does it matter? No, seriously, how much, how much does it matter? Look at the teams that have run, won the recent national titles, right? Um, Baylor in 2021 did it with a bunch of older guys. Kansas in 2022 did it with a bunch of older guys in 2020. Kansas was the overwhelming favorite. They had a senior um, at center and Yudoka Azubuki who could have ended up being the, the national player of the year that season. Um, in 2019, it was Virginia, a bunch of older guys, 2018. It was Villanova, a bunch of older guys, 2017, North Carolina, a bunch of older guys, 2016, again, Villanova, a bunch of older guys. You have Impressive, to go all the way back to 2015 Impressive. to find a roster of, that had majority freshmen in the starting lineup, right, for Duke in 2015. Um, Before that, it was Kentucky in 2012. And that was when you had guys like Jaleel Okafor and Tyus Jones and Anthony Davis and Michael K. Gilchrist who were enrolling. No one in the 2023 class is going to be anywhere near as good as those guys. No one in the 2022 class, I believe, is going to be anywhere near as good as those guys. So how much does it matter to you I think with the transfer portal and over the next two years, it's not going to matter as much. And, and I love your point about Bill Self saying the top 75 guys that stay for two or three years. That's what it comes down to right now. That's what college basketball is. And then you can pepper it in with uh, a fifth year COVID senior that'll come in and get his master's degree and sets the culture. Like that's, that's uh, what Calipari did whenever he had his championship teams, he had really good talent that that was young, but then he, he also had some vets that kind of kept everybody in line. That's how much it matters. As long as you have pieces around them. Uh, we said it at the beginning of last season, uh, talent wins big, big time stuff, but it's the veteran teams that'll kind of keep you on track for a while. You got to have those pieces uh, at least it, to set yourself up for a favorable uh, tournament run. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, once your young guys learn how to play, those are the guys that are going to change the game for you, except when you look at like a Kansas, for example. But it's it, to go along with what you're saying, Rob, that top 75, the outside, the top 15, that's where you're going to make your money if you're a college coach. Sure, and, and this goes back to the high variance degree in the month of March. But what there's no variance degree in is the fact that you look at the track record of past national champions, the rundown that you just gave, And that is at the forefront of our minds of the division of what makes you successful in terms of if you're in the national championship conversation, what separates you from everybody else versus, well, are you really going to shy away from the best talent in a high school class? 
you're not going to, in the cases of John Shire, John Calipari, and in the cases of a TJ Otzelberger, who just locked up the highest-ranked commit in the history of Iowa State basketball since recruiting services were ranking players that dates back to 1999. You're not going to shy away. You're not going to shy away from being able to have access to that talent. I think it matters, but is it the most important detail when it comes to being on top of the sport? In 2022, the answer to that question is no, but I don't think that you're going to suddenly not take in that talent because if I have the opportunity to get the next Paolo Bancaro or to get access to Zion Williamson, Duke and Kentucky are going to be at the front of the line. I'm not going to be able to get into that deli line. So I think it's a mixed blend. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but no longer is it the foregone conclusion to what success is in college basketball. Well, we also need to determine what success is because Duke made it with all those young players to the Final Four. So, like, mm-hmm. we do, like if it's national championship or bust, I'm not sure how much it really matters. If it's making it too deep into the tournament, second weekend, uh, Final Four, it, it does matter because people have proven consistently that you're at least getting to the second round or to the second weekend. I think that's a big thing. So what we determine as success, if you're going for national championships, you need older guys. You want to get to the second weekend, which is completely plausible for all these five-star kids going in and winning two games and then moving on to the next weekend. If that's your version of success, then it's completely it completely matters. But it's just a matter of what you determine that to be. And with Duke and Kentucky, you want to win national championships. So yeah. as well, and as unfortunately, yeah, it's unfortunately for Kentucky's case, and it it stinks because 2020, we don't know what would have happened for anybody. But mm-hmm. for the fans in Lexington, 2019 feels like a long time ago. My point being, look, it's it's been a a while it's been as long as ever to Kentucky fans that they've made a March run. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said about whether or not there is now some pressure on uh, John Calipari to start winning. Right. Um, There was a while where it felt like he was making final fours every single year. But I think that uh, other teams have kind of caught up to this idea of stacking your roster with talent. And that's my biggest thing. Right. I think that they're, I don't like, the way necessarily that recruiting services will have 28, 29, 35 star guys in a class, right? The difference between five star Paolo Bancaro and then five star number 28 player in any given class is so massive that they should not have that same ranking. Cause what happens is you look at that five star number and you just kind of assume, okay, yeah, this guy's got a chance to be a potential lottery pick. No, it's not. There are guys that are freshmen that can come in and dominate the sport, right? And there are also five stars that have a chance in two years, three years to maybe one day be an NBA player. And I do think that that is a distinction that, um, that, that people need to understand. Like not all five stars are made the same. And if you're going to put Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and Trey Jones and Cam Reddish, all of whom were top 10 prospects on the floor at one time, that's a very different thing than bringing in like the number seven player, the number 12 player, the number 19 player, and the number 25 player and expecting all of those guys to immediately be stars in college. That's not the way that it's going to end up working. And I think that we're going to see that with some of these upcoming classes that Duke and Kentucky are putting together. Yes, they're the best recruiting classes in the country. No, they are not going to have the same kind of impact that putting Anthony Davis and Michael Key Gilchrist together with guys like Darius Miller and Deron Lame who have been there or having 
uh, four top 10 players like Duke did in the 2014 class when they won the national title. That's very different than what we're seeing from some of these classes right now. Part of it is because a lot of these guys are bouncing to the G League Ignite or sticking with overtime elite, and we're not even seeing them in college. That's right. Um, so I, I, and you know what? Frankly, the 2023 and 2024 classes, I don't think are good enough to even have this conversation. We're saying you can get the top five players and bring them in and have a chance to get to a final four. Let me ask you that. That's a good segue. Let me ask you that T.O. Hey, first of all, who, can, can I throw something in there now that we're talking about Kentucky? No. Who has had a more recent national championship, UConn or Kentucky? Who did UConn beat when they won that championship in the final four? That's mm-hmm. right. I'm mm-hmm. just. Do you know? I didn't think it would be that know? far back, but gosh, it, it has been a while. Do you know who beat? Who did Kentucky beat in that final four? Fanta, were you old enough then? Oh yeah, no, but I was twelve. I think you might have been in high school. You don't know who they beat in that final four? Oh. They beat Kentucky. They beat the Brandon oh, Miller. Oh no, no, no! no you said they beat Kentucky. Beat. They beat them in the finals. Yeah, yeah, UConn beat, they beat Kentucky in the finals. Yeah, no, I know yeah, that. UConn beat Kentucky in the finals. I thought you were talking about Kentucky beat in the final four. That's and what I thought, too. Butler in the finals. Yeah, they beat Butler in the ugliest game in the history of college basketball. Well, they beat, they beat Butler once, and then they beat Kentucky in another? Kentucky, yeah. they, UConn beat Kentucky in the finals. Yeah, they beat Butler another year. Oh, that's right. In 2014, they beat Kentucky in the finals. Yeah. In 2011, they beat Kentucky in the final four. Is that what it was? That's right. I can't remember. No, they beat Florida. I don't Get him, Fanta. Get him. Don't let him get away with anything, Fanta. Don't let him get away with anything. You're right. But you know what? In 2011, they beat the Brandon Miller team in the the final four. Right? uh, I don't know. Go ahead. They they just, all they do is beat Kentucky. That's all they do. Right. So here's the thing Uh, a takeaway on everything that we've witnessed with recruiting. And T.O., you were in the building. I was able to watch some of Peach Jam. Stream was interesting. That being said, when you think about the recruiting cycle and when you think about reactions, because that's what this all is. It's very reactionary, not to a fault. There are analysts for this stuff, but it's just the, the way of the world. How does TJ Power, who is ranked, from what I understand, around 60, 65. Oh, he's by the jumping. End, he's by, jumping up. By the end of Peach Jam, he's a top 25 prospect. Sure. I mean, my point is, you're jumping 45 spots. And don't get me wrong. I think TJ Power built his stock as well as anybody here over this last month. That being said, we live in this world, Rob, where you said it. We put, it, we put stars next to somebody's name, yet you can't both say, like, I guess you can. But, okay, TJ Power jumps 45 spots in your recruiting rankings. Now there's some people that are in the same chair who are like, not only is DJ Wagner not the best prospect in the class, I'm not sure if he's a top 10 prospect. I, I don't know about him. It's, we live in this world of takes, and I just want to remind everybody, we're talking about kids. We're talking about 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. Like, like that, that culture, that landscape needs to get reinforced here because do I really know if, Cooper Flag and Cameron Boozer are going to be the next great players. Well, yeah. How the hell do you really players. know that about yeah. a fifteen-year-old? No, there, see, there's they're, they're, the rankings are can. also reactionary as all hell because, like, yeah, they, TJ well, Power, because yeah. it, because people it, it changes, right? There, you're you have a different set of information, right? 
you you get these rankings that come out before all of the live periods start generally speaking at some point in april right then you have a value that that's after high school basketball seasons then you have an evaluation period in april they have two months to work on the game you have an evaluation period in june you have three four weeks to work on your game then you have an evaluation period in july kids get better when 16 to 17 year olds have that time to work they can get better they can figure out how to play a certain way maybe you get into um a a system with your eybl team where that just allows you to impact it more than playing with a high school team where they throw three guys at you because you're not playing at a level that has enough good players they can just throw as many defenders that you want because your high school team sucks kind of a thing right there's there's different factors that weigh into being able to see how good these guys end up being now you mentioned tj power i think part of the reason he's blowing up is probably because he's going to be 19 years old as a high school senior yes He's going to be 20 I had one as a coach, freshman. And, and I had one coach text me and say, TJ Power is older than two of the recruits that we have coming on campus this year, and he's playing <laughs> in Peach Jam. So yeah. I just want to put that into context. That's Age a big one. That's a big one. In. Yes. Now, well, that, that said, and they're so reactionary. Like he got, he was a Boston College lane for a long time, and then Duke <laughs> offered, Carolina offered him, shoom, up 20 spots. But he, he's, <laughs> the sucker can shoot it, man. Sorry to interrupt, Rob. Go ahead. No, I, I do want to ask you guys this. Um, and we need to get into the DJ Wagner. Mackenzie and Baco, like we, I, I want to get into that conversation. But you mentioned something about Cooper Flag, um, and uh, and the Boozer kid, Cameron uh, Adam Finkelstein. Yeah, Adam Finkelstein over at twenty four seven Sports had a really really good column. I thought um, because to me the most hype game that came out of there, the, the the thing that I saw the most tweets about, the thing that I saw the most people referencing, the game that had to get moved from a normal gym to the main gym at Peach Jam to be able to accommodate all of the people that wanted to go watch it was a game between two 15-year-old teams, right? Between two they 20, had to do that 25 lot, recruits. Though. Yeah, but last time <laughs> I saw that happen when I was at Peach Jam was when Amani Bates was playing there as a 15-year-old. And I do think that there is, there is a culture when it comes to high school basketball, when it comes to high school basketball prospects, when it comes to idol, the idolization of the next big thing that – we we overstate it too much right we're like oh this kid has the potential to be this great so we're gonna hype him up as the next big thing pops up on instagram and highlights pop up on tiktok all of this stuff ends up on youtube um, and it becomes this thing where you are setting up all of these kids for for failure because there is no possible way that you can know that cameron boozer or cooper flag could end up being an nba all-star when they're 15 years old you could say that they can end up being a pro right that's the reason why adidas and nike and all of these sponsorships money and all of these uh hangers on you can identify who's going to be a great basketball player when they're 14 or 15 years old because if you're tall and you can move you're probably going to end up having a really good shot at playing in the nba right it's much easier to identify the next great basketball player a potential pro basketball player when they are in high school than it is to Uh, We proclaimed Imani Bates is the next Kevin Durant. One publication did, and he's going to be spending next season. He's going to be spending next season at Eastern Michigan. Yeah, well, a a lot of people did, and part of part of part of what happens is that when you see these guys as fourteen and fifteen years olds, fourteen and fifteen year olds, and you say this is what they could be. That's that, that. It's very reasonable. I I don't know if you guys saw Imani play when he was fourteen or fifteen. I did a couple times. It was very reasonable to look at a 15-year-old that was already six foot eight and already doing the things that he was doing and already scoring the way that he was scoring with a skinny, small frame to say, look, that kid is already special. I've never seen a 15-year-old do what he is doing right now. If he continues to grow, he can be this. And that was very true. If he continued to grow, he could have been this. 
Problem was he stopped growing. His wingspan never got longer. His body hasn't filled out. He is basically still the same player right now that he was when he was 15 years old. And I want you to think about how good Amani Bates, if he was 15 and he averaged 10 points a game for Memphis, doing all of that stuff that he did. How good do you think we would call that 15-year-old, right? You would think that he was fantastic. You would think that he was the best prospect that you've ever seen as a 15-year-old. He just never improved. And I do think that criticizing the way that we need to change the way that we do this. And I'm throwing myself in that mix too. We all need to change the way that we kind of talk about these 15-year-olds because there's no reasonable, there's a certain caliber of human being that you should never compare a kid that still doesn't have his driver's license to. You should never be saying Cooper Flag could end up being, do not compare him to a Hall of Famer. Do not compare Cameron. You can't even compare Cameron Boozer to his dad right now. That is totally unfair and a totally because he's bigger than his dad. Yeah, it's a total. This kid totally is huge. Un- I, I know, but it's just a totally unreasonable. But guys, level we do this on NBA draft years. night. We start laughing at, at the. Yeah, but that's different. These kids, are, those guys are about to get paid, paid, and there's a they, lot. They made on those guys. it. So that's Here's another thing I don't think people understand. And Tio, you can attest to this. If you make the NBA, you have succeeded. you're a winner. You have succeeded. I don't. I don't give a fuck how good you are, right? If you're projected as a top ten pick and you People, make the NBA, then you know what's you, crazy you have, about you that? Reached your potential. If you are projected that, as a top ten player in the class and you and you get one NBA contract, then you've you, done. You it. won. You've lived you up won. to that. Here, here's my, my thing. Point. You mentioned Josh Jackson in the line of like, I think, like didn't pan out. Like, what are we? What? What's the expectation? Because whenever I hear about that, that, that that's panning out. You've played the NBA, you're panning out. You're like people don't realize how hard it is to make it in the NBA. Like you panned out. If you're a pro, jobs, you've panned there are, out. There are 500 NBA jobs, 500 of them, right? If you ever get one NBA paycheck, it means at that moment in time, you're one of the 500 best basketball players in the world. Think about how many people play basketball on this planet. Josh Jackson was the number four pick. The reason why he flamed out at, uh, was he at Phoenix? Where was he? Memphis. The reason he flamed out has everything to do with the shit that he was doing off the court and nothing to do with what happened when you put Josh Jackson on a basketball court, right? Right. Because he was a great player, a great prospect that lived up to that potential, was an All-American when he was at Kansas. Yes. My point was not that you've made it so you can be compared to whatever you want. You can be talked about however we want to talk about a player. My point is, some of the baseless comparisons on draft night that we have called baseless from you know who, because you know where you can find the linear television draft night coverage from certain people who do not watch any college basketball all season. They're being put in a, a position to fail. Moody Mosey. Yeah, my point is this, guys. The same <laughs> baseless claims that sometimes come in that coverage that while they're a little bit out there, look at the viewership, look at the clicks, look at the engagement, is the same reason why we try to sometimes build up 15-year-olds like a Cameron Booster, like a Cooper Flag, and draw a comparison on someone. Because if I'm on Twitter and I'm scrolling through things and I'm a casual basketball person, it is late July. My mind, if I'm a casual Twitter person or, or Instagram, wherever you are, your mind's probably not on or wasn't on Cooper Flag or Cameron Boozer. But all of a sudden, you see them mentioned in the same breath 
as a Hall of Fame player in NBA history. And you're saying, well, I got I'm going to remember this name now because I'm be. seeing this. That's irresponsible. Only to then when they get to college. Let me make this clear. How we don't know how good they're going to be. However, Cooper Flag, Cameron Boozer, the 2025 class that we're building up, I think partially because 2023 and 24 are not particularly great classes. We are talking about those players in a light. They've got great opportunities in front of them. They could be great players. We're not saying that they won't be. I want to make that clear. What we're saying is it is irresponsible to proclaim them as the next generational talent. You know why it's irresponsible? Because the people who are making those claims aren't the people who are inside these players' direct message feeds and inside these players' Twitter feed when they are on the receiving end of comments and feedback because Fan X thought this guy was going to be the next Akeem Olajuwon and he has a game where he shoots 2 of 11 from the field and now because I gambled some money on it, I'm going to get into your feed and tell you that you let me down. Not only did you let me down, you made all these analysts look like clowns. That's where it's irresponsible and wrong and it's a 15-year-old kid. I didn't know how to scratch my ass at 15 nor alone how to dunk a basketball. The yeah, uh, you're you're 100% right. And the issue is when you And he didn't know how to are, scratch his ass at 15? Well, I mean, you should have learned how to be able to scratch your ass by the, if you didn't you know how to wipe around. your ass by the time that you were 15 years old, that would also be a pretty big problem. I still don't know how to do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's why you come arms. home and your wife tells you to go get in the shower, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, the, the last thing that I will say about this, and then we can kind of move on a little bit is that I understand the desire that, that to put these kids names in the same headline with the, the to put for lack of a better example, Amani Bates and Kevin Durant in the same headline. Cause you do that. You're going to get clicks on YouTube. You're going to get views on YouTube. You're going to get interactions on Instagram. You're going to have people that are paying attention to you and when you are trying to grow a brand and grow a channel and grow an Instagram feed and be able to make money off of doing that you need that interaction you need that clickbait I understand that the problem that you run into is that there's no room it's the same clickbait you accused me of with Keegan Murray and you put the wrong clip up with the whole damn thing it works it works works Doster it works it works no it works it works (laughs) and and the there's no room for context when it comes to stuff like that, right? There's no room for being able to um, contextualize the point that you are trying to make. I can sit here and say that, yeah, look, Cooper flag, if this happens, if he develops this, if this continues to come along, if he makes this adjustment, you know, if he adds this kind of a weight, if he does this, that, and the third, he could end up being a great player. There's a real chance that he could be a, a five-time NBA all-star. He's still if a baby, works though. out for him. Like he's still the problem is no one hears if everything works out for him, he could be this. What they hear is five-time NBA All-Star. What they hear is chance to be a uh, a Hall of Famer. What they hear is chance to be the next, I don't even know who he's getting compared to, but all you hear is Imani Bates, Kevin Durant, right? You don't I hear all of the contextualization. You don't hear the that you're saying he needs to add this and develop this and do this and do this. And it's a possibility. There's like a five percent, a top 5% outcome for his career could end up being this. It's the same people that call Andrew Wiggins a bust, right? Like, look, when Andrew Wiggins was 15, 16, 17 years old, you could look at him and you could say, this kid 
has a chance to be a top 10 player in the NBA if all of this stuff happens, right? Because he ended up hitting like a bottom 20% alcohol before the, before he just kind of willed uh, his way to a, a championship with the Warriors. You could say that it was a bottom 20% outcome for him because that didn't develop, this didn't develop, and this didn't develop. Same thing with Imani Bates, right? It wasn't wrong to be able to say that he was, he had a chance to be a superstar when he was 15 years old. What was wrong was people like us putting people that have a platform, making those comparisons and making those generalizations and putting those headlines out because it sets a level of expectation for the general public that don't understand that what we're saying is that there's like a 10% chance he can be this. There's a 20% chance he could end up being what he is right now. And the likelihood is he's going to be somewhere in the middle where it's just a guy on an NBA roster that starts a bunch of games, makes a hundred million dollars, and then poof, he's gone in 10 years. You don't even think about him anymore. That's the problem is that people don't understand when you make those comparisons, the likelihood of them actually hitting his ceiling is like five or 10%. That's just the way it is. And that's what makes LeBron James to me so special because he had all of this hype. We called him the next Magic Johnson when he was in high school. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old and he lived all the way up to it. And there are still people that will call him a bust because he's only what, like the second best player in the history of the Ah. NBA at worst. Nobody's saying that, Russ. Uh, all right. Uh, there's there's four other things that I want to get on before we let um, uh, fans to talk about his John Shire and Kyle Neptune comparisons. First and foremost, T.O., best player in the class, Mackenzie Mbako. Yeah, I mean, he's the safest pick, and there's several others that are very good. But, uh, I, you know, a lot of people are saying his teammate is the best player in D.J. Wagner, and D.J. Wagner is a very good player. Uh, going to be a very good player at the next level, but he doesn't have the same type of length and intangibles that, uh, in my opinion, Mackenzie Abaco has. Uh, he's a grown man right now. I think that's the big thing. And whenever he stays inside of three dribbles, the dude is elite. He's a high-level shooter. He can guard. He's a switchable wing. And how valuable are those guys right now? He's a switchable wing. His ball handling does need some work, but that's being really picky. But he's got the necessary athleticism. He's got good length. He shoots the ball incredibly well. And I'm telling you, the guy is a handful. Now, that all being said, the in a, in a good class, in a good class, he's probably somewhere in that 4 to 12 range, depending on who you talk to in a really good class because of his length, his ability to shoot the basketball, and his versatility. Uh, outside of that, it's just not like you've said, uh, Fanta, it's not a great class. Neither is 24, but he's going to be a very good college basketball player for a year. And I think he has a long pro career as well. Now, how that pro career goes, it's really hard to tell, but he has all the things that a lot of NBA teams value, the ability to shoot the ball, the length and the body type that's going to hold up for a long time. Yeah, I just don't think that there's anyone in this class. I, I think that the way that I would phrase it is there's a whole bunch of guys that are top 10 prospects in this class. There's nobody that is a air quote to your top five prospect, that level of uh, level of player in this class. Um, I would agree with you on DJ Wagner, six foot two, uh, inefficient scores that can't really um, can't really shoot it. Can't really create for others and really need to just score off the bounce without having that hyper athleticism of someone like a John Morant. How, how he is shifty. He is shifty. The only you, you got to be able to shoot it now. And if he changed his game to where he was going from high volume score to where, hey, I'm getting in the lane to create, like he could be an absolute problem. But I don't know that he's he's not geared like that. 
but whenever he showed his ability to get into the lane and be intentional about finding somebody else, he was really, really good. And he's a special finisher around the rim. Problem is, 6'2", you guys know this. What did you say the number was, Rob? I think it was you who I was talking to. Three players in the past four drafts, smaller than 6'3", or something like that. Like, that's a pretty sizable you know, number there. It's it's hard. And I think because he doesn't shoot the ball, I've seen him play in person. Did you just make up a stat times. on the spot? <laughs> you just totally made up that stat. No. Yeah. Were you talking <laughs> to somebody just... in your sleep or? Yeah. No, I might have been Where'd talking to somebody. Where'd that come from? I was talking, talking to somebody. To me. I, I know who he was somebody. talking look at, to. Look at the stat. It's like four guys I know. within the last four years. No, I know uh, who you were me... talking to. You were with someone all last week in Georgia. And there yeah. can be false narratives coming no, from him. No, that's true. Go look it up. How many players six two and under have been drafted in the last four years? I think that it's okay. it, you can count them on a single hand. Uh, Probably. That's that's the big that's the big issue right now with DJ Wagner being the number one player. That being said, still very good player. It's just how does he really fit in today's game? I've seen him play four times, and in those four games, he's two of twenty nine from three because I counted because I was hoping he'd make a couple. So at least he could convince me a little bit like, Hey, maybe it's there, but uh, I'll tell you what, he kept hoisting them and they kept clanking. Is it in DJ Wagner's best interest to go to Kentucky? Is it in Kentucky's failed? best interest to take DJ Wagner when they have Robert Dillingham and Reed Shepard? And Oh, by the way, just picked up Justin Edwards this week. There is only one basketball. And while Wagner is, talented and we've talked about it you're not going to shy away from someone that talented by the same token is this the perfect fit a fit that has been reported on over the last couple of weeks the buzz has been increasing Kentucky's now the favorite to Lamb Wagner Louisville's still in the in the race but Kentucky is the favorite is it the best situation DJ Wagner at Kentucky I have my doubts based on the Wildcats recruiting class, and based on the fact that, Robert, you just said Wagner's not exactly a shot creator for others. Well, they've got others. Yep. T.O. is a certified Reed Shepard hater, so I don't know if we can actually have a, a what? legitimate conversation. Not once have I hated on Reed <laughs> Shepard. Not one time. Not one. Not a single one. I just told him I'd beat him in a shooting contest. T.O. watched him dunk on Bay Fall and was like, not only is this guy a better shooter than me, he is more athletic than me, and he's going to Kentucky instead of Clemson. Uh, no, I can't like this guy. I can't support First of all, this. Take, hey, 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 take it easy. Second of all, <laughs> To go back to Fanta's point. saw him play, realized he had no Swedish blood, was like, nah, no, I don't read Shepard. Done. Hey, we don't get Swedish guys too often. Pele Larson, Elliot Cadeau, William Berg at Purdue. I'm not even Swedish. I don't know. I'm just taking a side of my wife. (laughs) But that being said. Big year ahead for Pele Larson. I think he's going to break out even more. Yeah. I'm not even. How about that? I'm not even Swedish. (laughs) I'm not even Swedish. Freaking, I'm Norwegian. We We got nobody. We have it's the, nobody. It's, it's the same thing. It's the, you yeah, have no, Erling Holland. Yeah, might as well be. For a three-hour drive. Do you even know who that is, Erling Holland? Who? Erling Holland. Yeah, hold on. The soccer player. Of course. Yeah, there you go. There Come, you on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Wrap up. If, wrap there's up a, if there's a guy, if there's a guy, hey, look, if there's a guy who can make it work with guards that can penetrate and not shoot, it's John Calipari. <laughs> like, that's. Fair. I mean that that his dribble drive stuff. He's throwing a lot of misdirection early in the offense to try to get people in the paint. I think I think if there is a spot for a non shooter that loves to get to the paint and can get to the paint without any help, uh, Kentucky's the way to go. And DJ would fit that really well. What do you think of Dillingham? Have you, how much have you seen him play? Small, 
like really, really small. Now he is competitive and he, he's a tough sucker. He can score in bunches, but he's really, really small. That's, that's my only concern. If he's 165 pounds, I'd be surprised. Uh, mm. I mean, really narrow shoulders. But I mean, you, you guys want to talk about quick as a cat, that dude is unbelievably fast with the ball. The problem is, is he prefers to play off the ball. And that's kind of where I, I find it interesting, him being six one and playing off the ball at that size. It's not a good combo. It's hard. All right. Um, Gigi Jackson decommits from North Carolina, commits to South Carolina, reclassifies into the class of 2022. Uh, I kind of aired my thoughts on this um, when it happened. We posted that YouTube video. I'll throw the link in the description below. Um, T.O., I think we kind of disagree on this. I think that this is a bad decision for all involved outside of the financial benefits that JG Jackson is going to get out of this between what he can make from NIL this year, as opposed to next year and uh, being able to start his NBA clock and get his second and third NBA contracts a year earlier, which makes him more valuable. Um, Have you ever turned down $3 million? No, I never would. And, And that's why I'm saying like, that's why if you're, if this is strictly a financial thing, do it. I just think that going, going to a program, with a guy that has Gigi Jackson's specific skill set where you're not really like the guy, you kind of need other people to play off of to kind of set you up. Going to a situation where I can't even name one person on that South Carolina roster without Googling the South Carolina roster. Uh, I just think that's a bad fit. You're I not a Michi that... Johnson fan? Not a huge, not a huge Hayden Brown guy? <laughs> Whatever. Um, and then I think that if you're Lamont Paris – Bringing in what a win for Lamont! What a I win for see, Lamont! Huge though, huge. Is it a win? Yeah, I, I get the idea. It's a massive to... win. If nothing else, if nothing else, they they freaking they say they stink, and GG averages fifteen and twelve, and they stink. This allows guys to say yes to South Carolina now, because South Carolina is not a talent abundance state. It's got three, four, maybe five a year that could compete at that level. This allows those guys to say yes to South Carolina, despite not being a great school basketball-wise for a long time. Matter of fact, I'm not really sure what South Carolina is good at except for baseball for the longest time running now, and that's a little bit of Clemson hate just kind of bleeding through my pores. But at the same time, like (laughs) this is a huge win because you think about Julian Phillips going to Tennessee. Uh, P.J. Dozier is the last one that went to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. G.G. Jackson – now, uh, KJ Green next year. There's 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 talent in South Carolina. There's not that much, but what it does is it allows those guys to say yes to Carolina. So for Lamont Paris, this is a huge win, a huge win. Not a not play, not a minute, not a little, not a little win, a huge win. Now for GG, on the other hand, you're going to well, a hold team. on, hold on. Before on that, let me play Sorry. devil's advocate on that for you, real quick, no. because I think that this sets a level of expectation for this program that there is zero chance that that is going to be able to be delivered it's year right? one yes and that's the problem you're going out it's and a year one guy, and a rebuild you're going out and getting gg jackson and it's going to set a level of expectation for what this team should be and there's no possible way that south carolina can live up to any kind of expectation i don't know if they're going to finish top 12 in the sec this year i think it's very legitimate that they are right there with like vanderbilt as ending up being the worst team in the sec and you don't think stackhouse has got it going how do you, how did it work out? How did it work out getting Anthony Edwards to Georgia for Tom Crean? How did it work out for Tom Crean? How did it work out getting 
getting Ben Simmons to LSU for Johnny Jones? How did it work out getting Jalen Brown and Ivan Rabb to Cal for Conzo Martin? All I'm saying is that when you go out and you get these, how did it work out getting Jaden McDaniels to stay home um, for, uh, for Washington for Mike Hopkins? All I'm saying is that when you get these elite recruits to stay home, it helps with the recruiting momentum. It also sets a level of expectation for the program that's surrounding an 18-year-old with a bunch of guys that aren't good enough is a situation that I don't think is – it's rare to find a situation where that works out to the benefit for everybody involved. Whereas if he had gone to North Carolina this year, maybe next year, whatever it would have ended up being, there would be more talent around him. There would be a better structure for him to be able to thrive – and, you know, at the end of the day, when you're winning games, right, I think that that looks better for you overall as a player, as a prospect heading into the next level, even if you don't necessarily put up the biggest numbers. That's all I'm saying. I, I could I on your, your point about it, building momentum within the state, 100 percent legitimate. And I agree with I also think that there is there's a very real risk and a downside to bringing him in into this situation. But. This is the same exact argument that we talked about earlier in this podcast, which is the theme for this podcast. Recruiting does not necessarily translate to material wins in the sport. No, but this could this could lead to getting those three and four years. Like there's like South Carolina has those 30 to 75 ranked kids. They have those kids on occasion. Mm-hmm. Like they'll have two or three uh, every so often. You got to get those kids. And like the fact that they're able to get Gigi helps those kids kind of teeter towards that way. That's that's Absolutely. my like and but that's the thing, and that's fair. This is where and it's what's different. Your expectations. This is where it's different. This isn't Lamont Paris going. I need to hit it big with this recruit because I'm trying to save my program, or we've got to start winning games. So this is how I'm going to try to parlay it and do it. You don't do it off that way. It's been it's proven to be very unsuccessful for for past coaches who have tried to do it. To said it. It's year one. Sure. Sure, somebody watching Gigi is going to have this expectation level that he's the next big thing. I'm here to tell you, I don't think so. His skill set doesn't make him someone that others are going to benefit off of. He's a forward. This is not someone who's creating for others. The point being is, yes, there's narratives out there. And Rob, you're absolutely right on, on what people expect from a kid, a big name. Now they think South Carolina, somebody that's uninformed is going to think South Carolina will play a factor in the SEC, but it's year one for Lamont Paris. Lamont Paris's first year on the job at, at South Carolina is about doing a couple of things. Number one, establish some sort of recruiting momentum at a program that needs all the recruiting momentum they can get. Number two, get publicity. South Carolina basketball is not going to get much publicity. And at the end of Frank Martin, I sensed a level of apathy. Lamont Paris just installed energy and buzz into a basketball program at a football school. This is much more of a win than it ever will be a loss. Only thing I will say is this. You're talking about recruiting momentum. You're talking about recruiting buzz. You're talking about being the cool program to go to. G.T. Jackson was the number one prospect in the class of 2023. And he's reclassing. So I think it's he's reclassing. That's the reason I didn't put him at number one. He's reclassing. He was before he reclassed, he was number 20, he's number one in that class right now. According to 24 sevens composite recruiting rankings, he's the number six player in the class of 2022. Let's say South Carolina has a bad year. Let's say that Gigi Jackson flaws, his flaws are exposed this season because there's no point guard on that roster to be able to set him up and put him in a situation where he's going to succeed. Ohio State transfer Michi Johnson. 
freshmen in the SEC routinely get their ass kicked because that is a great conference, yeah. right? That is a legitimately great conference. T- uh, Fanta, we talked about this a little bit off air, could end up being the best conference in college basketball this season. I think there's a legitimate argument for that. Let's say he averages 11 points, six boards, shoots like 32% from three as a six foot nine combo forward and drops to like, I don't know, late lottery, mid of the, middle of the first round. It takes 30 million. Really, are you really building recruiting momentum? If yes. the argument is you can bring in this kid that could have been the number one player in the class who you bring him in, you lose a whole bunch of games. He doesn't play that well. And he goes from being the best player in 2023 to being a guy that is picked late lottery. Is that really building recruiting momentum? Well, it what's your be. alternative? Your alternative yeah, what's the alternative? Being South Carolina and not having anybody drafted for a long time? I'm just saying, I don't think that this move Who's the last one, P.J. Dozier? Like, I think you uh, you probably have to do it. Ever the contrarian you, you are, do it. I don't yeah. think, I don't, I mean, you probably have to do it, but I don't think that this is necessarily a move that is the home run that I've seen a lot of people kind of say that it could It's be. year one. That's, it's year yes. one. It's not yeah, like a saving grace. You got to start somewhere. You got to start. Yeah, somewhere. they're starting well. They're, they're, they're starting. They're starting with the number one player in the country. The, yeah. I, if, if I if I could pick, I'm I'm starting there. And if you go out and you win four SEC games with the number one player in the country, and he goes from being a projected number one pick to being a guy that's taken outside of the lottery, I'll, that's all I'm saying. It's not <laughs> without risk. It's not without risk. All right. Um, the last thing that we wanted to talk about, and and I don't know how much time you want to spend on this um fanta is john shire kyle neptune and the pressure that new coaches are coming in uh, are going to face coming in replacing legends we just saw hubert davis take north carolina to the national title game end coach k's career with back-to-back victories in cameron indoor stadium and in new orleans at the final four and now is going to be entering this season as the in all likelihood the preseason number one team in the country um now that pete nance has been added to the equation John Shire, Kyle Neptune are both replacing Hall of Famers, both replacing guys that I think we would all agree are top five coaches in the sport before they step down. So you talk to Kyle. What do you have to say? Well, I'll start with John Shire. And I want to start by saying that all great eras at some point come to an end. And I do not think it's the worst thing in the world and have said this before on this podcast that now is a time of transition for Duke, especially in the current climate of college basketball. I think John Shire's ready for this. I think he's already crushing it. We've talked about what does it matter? Here's the deal. I'm recruiting. Here's the deal with John Shire. John Shire has made as much of an impression as he can without coaching a game. Yeah. Because when you look at who he's got coming in, this year, with four or five-star recruits. Next year, 2023, he had five. The only reason why he doesn't have five now is because Tyrese Proctor reclassified and is suiting up for Duke this season. In, in terms of recruiting momentum, Duke, you could say it recruits itself, but it speaks for Shire that he's gotten out, and he has totally cleaned up with the best recruiting class this year and as it stands right now, the best recruiting class next year. John Shire's ready for this, but this was a transition that was prepared for, that was mapped out. And as much as people talked about Coach K having his long retirement tour that 
he said wasn't about him. By the same token, uh, Duke had a roadmap. Villanova is very, very different. Okay? There was no predetermined roadmap. Jay Wright got a feeling as this past season went on internally in his mind that this was going to be it for him. Right. And then once the season came to a conclusion, he knew at the final four that it was going to be his last year, but this was the best kept secret in college basketball. It truly was because we did not realize that Jay was on the last of all these things. Kyle Neptune had a very good year at Fordham a Fordham program that greatly needed a, a, an injection of energy. Kyle Neptune was always going to have success in year one at Fordham. There's zero expectations at Fordham, and Kyle Neptune's a hard worker. My point is, I go into this thing thinking about the two cases of Mike Krzyzewski will not be in the building, or so he says. We'll see if that ends up being true for John Shire and for Duke. He doesn't want to be part of this, of this distraction. But there was a roadmap for this transfer of power. And Villanova, guys, after talking with Kyle Neptune, I'll, I'll tell you on this podcast, it could not be further from the case of Duke. Jay Wright's around. He's working out with alums. He's meeting uh, alums of the program. He's on campus. He's working with the president at Villanova University. I expect that he'll be around at games and practices. I think that it's not so much about whether or not each of these successors is going to be successful in year one. For the record, I think both will be. I think Cam Whitmore and Mark Armstrong are coming into Villanova. Whitmore in particular, he's going to be a beast. And I think Villanova still has enough with Caleb Daniels and Brandon Slater and that incoming class. Eric Dixon as well is somebody who's only going to get better. I think it's going to be interesting to see how two totally different transfers of power end up playing out. Two fitting candidates for their respective jobs. But Duke, it's always like a foregone conclusion of where they're going to be, right, Mm T.O.? Villanova, it's taken time and, frankly, national championships for people to put them in that blue bud column. Can they be able to stay on that same level that Jay Wright had them on? I don't know about that, but I'm really intrigued to see how it plays out. No, I, I think I have, obviously haven't talked to Kyle Neptune to the extent that you have, but I did talk to John. And one thing that I've noticed about, you know, there were some there were some articles written that there were some other coaches being considered, uh, and people were kind of basing some conclusions of why that is. The reason why it was was so that they could continue recruiting at a high level because John was handling most of that stuff anyway. During the July period, Coach K was hard, it was seldom out on the road. So that was what that had everything to do with. Now, that all being said, is, is uh, Shire going to get the same whistle that K did? I'm interested to see that part. Is Neptune going to get the same whistle that Jay Wright did? I'm interested to see that part and how they proceed. But uh, I think both of them have a very good chance to succeed at two – programs that I mean they don't recruit themselves especially in today's age day and age you got to go get them uh so you got to be able to do that but uh, as far as the difference between the two I think the fact that Jay Wright is going to be around a lot more I think that's a big thing because I'm not going to say that's a cloud hanging over anybody's head but at the same time his presence and he has a presence you guys have both met the guy you've talked to him on several occasions like Jay Wright has an aura around him 
And if he's going to be at all those games, it's going to be there. So I'm interested to see how that proceeds. I don't, I actually don't think coach K will go to the games. I, I really don't. What, he said, where am I going to sit? That's, that's a, you know, I know they'd probably pull up a throne beside the court if he if, wanted them to. If he to, goes but. to games, if he goes to games, it'll be like the neutral site ones where there's more space where you can kind of walk in through the the specific entrances at like Madison Square Garden or in some of these NBA arenas that are, are built for that. Cameron Indoor Stadium isn't built for having like VIPs no. sitting courtside, right? Are you going to put Coach K in the middle of the Cameron crazies? No, it's not going to work. No. Um, I do. Tell me if you think this is a hot take. I think there is significantly more pressure on John Shire this season than there will be on Kyle Neptune and may ever be on Kyle Neptune for, for two specific reasons. One, what Hubert Davis did and the nature of that Duke UNC rivalry. And two, the fact that three of the top four prospects in the class of 2022 are currently on Duke's campus. Right. So there's, there's talent coming in. There's a level of expectation and Hubert Davis just ended coach K's career and made it to the national title game in his first year replacing Roy Williams. The thank pressure God, on thank John God Shire, that Duke has, thank God that Duke has an elite point guard to kind of <laughs> shuffle everybody together. A good veteran point they guard. They got a good with veteran excellent point quickness. Guard. They got a good <laughs> veteran point guard. <laughs> that's a, that's a great hey, I think your take's right. You know why? No, but hold because, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before okay. before I finish that, mm-hmm. I think that the job is going to be much more difficult to replace Jay Wright uh, for yeah. Kyle than it's going to be for John to replace Coach K. And the reason that I say that is. So much of what Villanova, so much of the reason why Villanova has been a national title team the last few years has been one, the player development and the 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 culture of continuity on that roster is a way that I like to phrase it, and two, the fact that they are so good at not running anything. Right, I don't think that there's a team in college basketball that has fewer scripted plays than Villanova. It's all concepts. It's all conceptual. It's all, we're going to beat the first man. We're going to get a paint touch. We're going to kick it out. We're going to create a closeout situation. If we don't have a jump shot there, we're going to do the same thing over and over and over again. It starts with ball screens, and you get to that point where it's just drive kick, drive kick, drive kick, drive kick, drive kick. Sometimes you're going to start out with that first uh, the, the first uh, paint touch, posting up a point guard. It's, there's, it's all conceptual, right? It's all about drilling these ideas and these concepts. Kentucky might run players. less. No, they, they run a lot of scripted stuff. They run a lot of scripted stuff. They, when it's the, when it's the dribble drive motion, a lot of it is just kind of they're, they're out there playing. But they have they do run a lot of scripted stuff where it's like, all right, we're going to run this guy off of a baseline stagger. We're going to run this guy off a curl over here. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know how well Kyle's going to be able to replicate that, right? I don't know how much of that was just – the culture and the program and everybody teaching themselves and the level of expectation and recruiting guys that know how to air quotes here, play the right way. And how much of that was Jay Wright instilling that in everybody. I don't know how much of that was a coaching staff. I talked to Kyle two weeks ago and he basically said like, look, this summer has been really no different because Jay is normally off coaching USA basketball. Anyways, it's all the assistants that do everything during the summer with the players coming back. So it's like, it's, it's kind of been a throwback to what it was when he was still on staff at Villanova it's felt kind of normal. He said, it's going to feel the most abnormal when you get into practices and you get into games and Jay Wright is not there. So that's That's a pretty wild. That's a pretty wild statement that it's going to be easier for John Shire to replace our generation's wooden than it is for Kyle. And that like, that's a, that's a hefty statement. Now both of them are feeling huge shoes, but like, yeah. So maybe long-term, I do think your take where I agree with your take is on the upcoming season. Yeah. Uh, of of who's got more pressure on them because of the way that things ended for Duke. And I would argue 
that in the Big East this upcoming year, I could probably pick five coaches with more pressure on them before I'd even get to Kyle Neptune. No, like there's, there's going to be no pressure. They they lost. There's all no their pressure. And there's no, no pressure. There's no expectation for them to win the Big East this year. You know why? Everybody Creighton. and their mother is on Creighton, and the trendy pick after Creighton ain't Villanova. The trendy pick after Creighton is Xavier. So there's not pressure. Like I don't think that that I, I think there's obviously an expectation level that they are a, a factor. And I still think they'll be a top three team in the Big East. I still think they'll be an NCAA tournament team. I don't know about this team. And it, I think it, what's very interesting about this year's Villanova is they, under Jay Wright, Jay Wright, it took time for him to trust freshmen. Jordan Longino, it took a full year for him to build a trust factor. He was a top-tier prospect. This Villanova team, to me, doesn't have enough in their experience department to not trust the ceilings of Cam Whitmore and Mark Armstrong. They need their freshmen to come in and deliver. And Whitmore has so much buzz around him. Villanova's not known for the one and done. But if Whitmore pans out to what he could be, he could be that. That, to me, is a very interesting layer to Villanova going into this year because they've been known to, to breed the three- and four-year players that they developed the hell out of. They don't have enough of those guys with Gillespie and Samuels gone to just rely on them. They're going to need these freshmen to step in and contribute, but there's no question about it. Duke is expected to win national championships. When I said on the podcast a month ago that I don't see Duke as a national championship caliber team, Duke fans were not pleased. You know why? They fully expect to be in that conversation. And I don't know if this team is at that level. Ain't they're a top 10 team? I don't know if they're one of the three or four best teams in the country. We'll see if that pans out. That's why there's pressure on John Shire. Because regardless... As much as it's not Coach K, the expectation still is we better win and we better beat North Carolina this year. Yeah, the the last – I'll just put a bow on it like this. I view Villanova as and Duke over the course of like the last, what, decade since 2013, since whenever Jay kind of turned this thing back around. I view North Carolina and, or Duke and Villanova as both right there as, as top five programs in America. I think that – Keeping Duke as a top five program in America, if you're John Shire, will be easier than keeping Villanova as a top five program in America if you're yeah. Kyle Neptune. And that's I why agree. I said that the job that Agreed. Kyle is going to have replacing him is going to be a harder thing to do. That's so I wasn't necessarily disagreeing with you. I was just saying that. No, a, I know. That's I just a wanted to make that point before I, I got. I, I agree with you. I got before I got yelled at by uh, by Villanova fans on uh, on Twitter. Anyway, listen, we've been here for an hour and fifteen minutes, guys. I might yeah, I thought this, this was a long right? episode. I think we, I might break this up into a two-part episode um, and see what we can do with that. But listen, it's been a pleasure. It always is a pleasure. Fant is going on vacation later on this week. T.O. probably isn't going to leave the country ever again after spending a month and a half in Sweden and completely ruining his sleep cycle and his children's sleep cycle. Fanta is uh, – are you going fishing, Fanta? Where are you going? I'm heading to Maine, and I'm going lobster hunting. Ah, yes. There you go. There's nothing, there's nothing better than, uh, than, than a good lobster roll. In, uh, from Maine. But listen, this has been fun. It's always great catching up with you guys. Uh, we will see you again maybe next week. 
probably more likely uh, the week after. So until then, rate, review, subscribe, like, comment, do all of those good things, and we will see you guys in a couple of